Veronica gets a clap <laughs> after her her messages. Uh, we'll see if y'all clap for me when I'm done. No, I'm kidding. No clapping. <laughs> all applause and all glory and clapping to our God. It's good to be with all of you today. Um, uh, look around and say hello to those who are here. Congregate. Usually I'm the one presiding, so I do that. Uh, but since I'm speaking today, just look around and see. Just it's so good to be in in just his house and to be with my brothers and sisters, to be with family, to be with all of you guys. Even though we're all socially distanced, it's really hard not to hug you, and um, it's really difficult. But yes, being together is still super awesome. All of you at home as well. So grateful that uh, you're able to join us. As well. Now, I know um, it's been just super crazy as if 2020, <laughs> I mean, what words can you use to describe 2020? There's a lot on my mind these days, um, just a lot. So much happening, so much uh, information, information overload from news, media, even just talking to people, uh, so much to process. And yes, like many of you, I, I admit, I am feeling overwhelmed. Is there anybody feeling overwhelmed? It's just too much. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, you know, in the last week or two, the grand jury's verdict um, concerning Breonna Taylor's death, um, the uh, Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her uh, death, her passing, um, and how th- what that means for just the future of America, conservative, liberal, all that stuff. Uh, the raging wildfires. I mean, we're so far removed here on the East Coast, so it doesn't seem to be on our radar a lot, but you know, I'm sure you have friends or even family on the West Coast, and it is not letting up. So just the raging fire, the damage, the devastation, the suffering of, of just people out in California and in Oregon, um, and you know, we still have three months to go <laughs> um, until 2020 ends. So we really need to be praying hard about what these three months will bring before 2020 um, is over. And also these last few weeks, as we've been planning and we've been preparing for our ongoing courageous uh, conversations that we've been having uh, about systemic racism and about ours and uh, the Christian church's response to that, and also as we have begun meeting virtually and we've been studying and discussing Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church, all this has led to so much uh, rich deep discussions about what it means to be the church. What does it mean, you know, in the face of social unrest and injustice and racism? What does it mean to be the church and and call one another family? And uh, how can we uh, rethink uh, church uh, in light of Francis Chan's uh, book and the journey that he's been in? Just all this stuff, um, it's through all of this, uh, Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2 have been on my mind. And that's what I've been meditating upon, and, and that's just been continuously on my mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, it's, a, it's come up multiple times in various discussions with friends, as well as in these discussions that I'm talking about. It's very well known, two verses. It's often preached on, quoted, even memorized by so many. It's a beloved uh, verse. And so that's what I want to speak on today. And the title is Transformed Lives. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So let's look at the text. I use the NIV. So here it is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in these two verses, the Apostle Paul, he's urging us to do several things, right? Just these two verses. And it's important to note, as we look at this, as we begin, that these things that he's urging us to do, that we are to do, and it's framed by these words, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. God's mercy is the starting point of all this. It's the basis for our lives being transformed. It begins with that, with God and his mercy. We're able to do what he is asking us to do. We're able to even go there and, and um, to acknowledge and, and to uh, heed his urgings based on God's mercy. In light of his mercy, which we have already received, and it's past tense, it's already done. His mercy has come and we have received it. The definition of mercy is this. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So it's compassion, showing compassion and mercy towards someone whom it is within, if it's me, within my power to harm or punish you, but it is withholding that and instead showing compassion or forgiveness. As Christians, we have all experienced the mercy of God. We've all received and experienced his mercy. And so it's against this backdrop of what God has already done that Paul is urging us to do several things. And it's four things that I want to discuss. Four things in these two verses that he's urging us to do. And first is to give our whole lives as a sacrificial worship unto him to give our whole lives as a sacrificial worship unto him. Specifically, verse 1 says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, we no longer live in a culture and an age um, of offering animals as sacrifices or any other types of ritual sacrifices that we do that involves blood or, or animals and things like that. We no longer are in, in that age or the Old Testament mode or even New Testament of doing that. So we're not familiar with it. I don't know if anyone has ever, besides like in movies and such, Jesus movies, I don't know if anyone has ever seen in person some sort of sacrificial uh, ritual or the sacrificing of animals, killing of animals in that way. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that no one has, right? It's just not something we're familiar with. It's not something that we have ever seen. But the people that Paul was writing to knew very well that what that looked like. They were familiar with it. So this is a specific audience. And as um, Paul is writing this, the people who are reading and hearing this, they know exactly what sacrificing animals looks like. So it would have been something of a shock to them. You know, we just sit here, we kind of listen and read about, oh, sacrificing animals, okay. But to them, it would have been a shock um, for Paul to use this sacrificial language. It's shocking to them because they're used to putting animals on the altar, right? They're used to doing that. They're used to sacrificing. But now it seems like Paul is saying to them, this is what they're hearing. They're, they're hearing, climb up there yourself. And give yourself as a sacrifice to God. Because they've seen it, animals being sacrificed. So when you hear that language, they're thinking, what? 
You want us to climb up on the altar, lay there, and, and, you know, be a sacrifice? But remember that the animals they sacrificed were dead. And here, Paul is specifically saying that we're to be a living sacrifice. Not dead, not slaughtered ones, but a living sacrifice. Breathing, ongoing, day to day with life. So our lives, who we are, what we do, um, how we live, is all together to be put upon the altar for God, for his consumption, to be consumed by our God. It's to be our true and proper worship unto God. Many Christians today, I know, um, we want to give God, or many Christians want to give their hearts, right? They want to give their, you know, their hearts to God, but not much else. More and more as the pandemic continues and just life is hard and just surviving, just waking up every day and just um, getting through the day is really difficult. And so more and more, I feel like Christians and not being able to physically gather together and worship and, and encourage one another, support and love and just, that mutual sharing is not there. Humans need interaction. We need that. I, that's why the huge spike in pets, everybody's getting a dog. I see on uh, Instagram or Facebook, every family, people, families, friends that swore they would never, ever do it, that they would never get a, a dog for their kids are doing it. And so what has changed? It's that needing and wanting interaction, even from pets and animals and such. And um, without that, I feel like a lot of people are, it, it's not even on their radar to to even think about proper and true worship. They don't want to give their time because who has time, you know? They don't want to give their money because people have lost jobs. I've got medical bills. You know, my resources are limited. More and more people don't want to give their service. How am I supposed to serve? I'm stuck at home. We're six feet apart, you know? And so for all these reasons, we, some of us, you know, and Christians, is they're thinking that we want to, yes, I want to give my heart. My heart is all in for God. But these other things, they want to continue living the way that they want to, acting and behaving their own way, and having these worldly priorities. Now, I'm not saying prioritizing your family or, you know, prioritizing money because you've got to eat, you've got to, you know, pay your mortgage and such. I'm not saying those are bad, but these are things still of the world, and they are superseding our concern with our God. To see these people Monday through Saturday, you'd never know that they were a living sacrifice. I was thinking this picture, I have a strange imagination. When I think about living sacrifice, I'm thinking like smoke rising. And so I'm thinking about Christians who are a fragrant offering and those who are truly living as a living sacrifice. I feel like they'd be walking around smoking, like they'd be smoke rising, incense, like smoke rising from them so that we can kind of see that, wow, their whole life, they're just a walking sacrifice. Wouldn't that like be awesome? Am I nuts? Um, but... Monday through Saturday, to see some of these Christians, you would never know that they, that we are to be a living sacrifice. That outside of just these two or three hours on a Sunday afternoon, gathered together physically in a church building or virtually for you folks at home, you would never know outside of those just two or three hours on a Sunday that we were worshiping people. That their lives were to be a worship unto God, a fragrant offering, and this continued living sacrifice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our whole lives 
are to be this sacrificial worship unto him. And as a living sacrifice, an aspect of that is that we are to be wholehearted about it. We're to be wholehearted. Now, wholehearted is defined as this, completely and sincerely devoted, determined or enthusiastic, um, marked by complete earnest commitment, free from all reserve or hesitation. Some related words, the synonyms are ardent, to be fervent, um, to be impassioned or passionate, earnest, serious, uh, bona fide, authentic, genuine. These are all words for um, just being wholehearted, being, you know, ardent, fervent, genuine, uh, committed, um, all these words. Now, how many of us can describe our Christian life this way? How many of us genuinely can describe our Christian life to be this way? Wholehearted means to be all in. It's not holding back. Both feet to be firmly planted in the kingdom of God. That your whole life committing that you will, everything about your life will be this living, fragrant sacrifice. There's a worship song. Um, it's an oldie, but a goodie. This worship song, um, I Offer My Life, it's by Don Moen. Yeah, you all know Don Moen. Come on, come on. He was uh, really popular in the uh, like mid-early 1990s. Y'all know Don Moen? All right, do you guys know this song? A Lord, I Offer My Life. Yes, I see the heads nodding. Oh, so good, such a good song. Let's bring it back. Pastor Jason, let's bring this song back sometime. All the worship praise leaders. Um, anyway, this, this, this song, I Offer My Life. One of my friends, when she got married, uh, she walked down the aisle to this song. Instead of the uh, of like the typical wedding march, she walked down the aisle to this song. Her father had passed away earlier that year before she got married. And so her brother walked her in. Her brother walked her down the aisle to this song. This is a song she chose. So let me read, um, listen to the lyrics. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through, use it for your glory. Lord, I offer my days to you lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. Things in the past, things yet unseen, wishes and dreams that are yet to come true, all of my hopes and all of my plans, my heart and my hands are lifted to you. And then it goes back and continues to repeat the chorus. Lord, I offer my life to you. Love this song. This song is straight out of Romans 12.1 if you guys didn't catch that. Consider this. God already has everything. What does God not have? God already has everything. He doesn't need anything because he's complete, right? If you need something, then you're incomplete in that way. But what's the one thing? Think about this. Consider this. What's the one thing that we can give him that he doesn't automatically already have? Our whole hearts, our worship, our lives as a sacrificial worship. Because of free will, he doesn't force us. So this one thing that we can give him, the one thing that he actually wants from us, his one desire that he wants from us is for him, throughout the Old Testament, you hear this phrase over and over again, he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. 
How awesome is that? That's what he really truly desires. He just wants to be our daddy. You know, he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his children, his beloved. He wants us to acknowledge that we are his people. He actually wants this from us. And once we've given our whole hearts, our whole lives in this way, our past, our present, our future, God can redeem our very and every difficult situations, experiences, and circumstances. Do you believe this? Yes. Thank you for that, Joe. Amen to that. I truly believe it. I'm not just up here blowing smoke. You know, I truly believe even the most difficult experience, situation, and circumstances that you may have lived through or you may be going through right now or may come up in the future that you don't know about, I truly believe that God can redeem it and use it for his glory. It's it's like the song says, Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through. Use it for your glory. Now, there have been certain struggles, um, some really difficult and hard things that I've gone through. Um, You know, you can't really compare. You can't be like, oh, my life was harder than yours. Oh, but this and this happened to me. Oh, that happened to you? It's not like one upping each other. Everybody's um, suffering and circumstances is their own. And you don't judge or belittle or, or um, weigh which suffering is harder or not. But just, you know, some of the sufferings or I feel really, really hard times in my life that I've gone through um, is when my father, the same, within a couple months of each other, my father and my father-in-law were both diagnosed with cancer. And then they both passed away. Um, even though we prayed for healing and such, that was difficult. You know, that was difficult. Um, my struggle with infertility, which um, I make no bones about uh, talking and sharing for my husband and I, 10 years, you know, we prayed and waited upon the Lord uh, to have children. And so just some of these struggles, and I know others have different ones, but having gone through those things with hindsight, so it's really never while you're going through it right? Come on now. We're not like, you know, guns for punishment. We're not like these super, um, we're, we're human. And so while going through it, I don't know, I, I don't think I can say I was thankful or, um, yeah. So just being honest with that. But with hindsight, I can truly, and I am able to say now, God, if that is what I had to go through, so that it can give hope or encouragement to someone else today, then so be it. Use my testimony for your glory. I can truly say that. And again, my hope and desire is that we're all able to say that with hindsight. The struggles and difficulties you've gone through, you're wholeheartedly able to say, yeah, yeah, God, you redeemed that and you use it for your glory, right? Our lives should be lived as a holy and pleasing sacrifice because this is our true and proper worship. You know, so many these days, we are not concerned with true and proper worship. Uh, Worship is anything goes, you know? Um, But there are certain things to be said or done or in terms of orderly worship and true and proper worship. We talked about it in our discussion of the uh, Francis Chan book. In Malachi, talks about, you know, the people were tired of of sacrificing and and giving proper worship and they were, um, you know, sacrificing blind animals, lame animals, as if God wouldn't tell the difference or couldn't tell the difference. You know, people were just getting tired about true and proper worship. Worship. 
I read this quote somewhere about worship. So this quote. So what is what do we mean by worship? It says we worship God when we are conscious that we are doing every activity for the smile and approval of God. That's a good definition of worship, I think, because people are like, oh, you know, when I'm doing the dishes, um, Brother Lawrence, I don't know, it's a very famous book. Brother Lawrence talks about, you know, he was like a bottle uh, washing person, dishwasher guy. And, um, you know, he says, everything I do is a worship unto God, whether it be washing my car, washing bottles, gardening, it's a worship unto God, right? And so think about it. We worship God when we are conscious of it, that we are doing every activity for the smile and approval of God. It's a wonderful definition of what worship is. So secondly, looking at verse 2, Paul urges us also in light of God's mercy, again, it's all framed within God's mercy that we're able to even attempt this or do it, in light of God's mercy, to not conform to this world. Do not conform to this world. Conforming to this world, to the secular worldly way of thinking and behaving is a huge problem of nominal Christianity today. People who profess that they are believers of Christ, a disciple of Christ, they believe in Jesus Christ, they've accepted Jesus Christ, and yet this this conforming to the world and living by worldly standards, it's, it's a huge problem for nominal Christianity. As believers, we need to be set apart from the world. We're to be holy. Holy means set apart. Right? And God commands us. He commands us in Leviticus chapter 11. He says, be holy because I am holy. We're to be holy, set apart for him. We are in the world living here, but we are not of the world and not part of its values. I know it's a very famous passage that we quote all the time, in the world, but not of the world. John 17, 14 through 16 says, John 17, 14 14 through 16, this is Jesus talking to God, praying to God, and he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And this is Jesus speaking to God, praying for us. He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about us. This is his prayer about us. Not that we be taken out of the world, but this is his prayer for us. We are people of the kingdom. We are kingdom people. We are people of the kingdom of God. Therefore, we should be living by kingdom principles, right? When you live in a country, you must abide by that country's laws. Unless um, you have a political... Uh, immunity or something, right? Um, Diplomatic immunity. But when you are living um, in a certain place, you have to live by the rules that govern that place. You know, um, a lot of parents will say, as long as you live under my roof, you know, you're going to live by my rules. Or, you know, you hear that a lot with parents as well. So we are and should be living by kingdom rules or kingdom principles because we're kingdom people, right? Following, imitating, conforming ourselves to the one, to Jesus Christ. In fact, our being in the world but not of the world is necessary. If we're truly being a light to those who are in spiritual darkness, because this is the the world is not um, the kingdom, you know, it's it's um, the enemy's place playground. And so if we are to be a light 
in the spiritual darkness, we're to live in such a way that it makes us different from the rest of the world so that we stand out in that way, that people can notice and see that there is something different about us. And this is particularly important and urgent for Christians today more than ever. Today more than ever. We live in this age of relativism, right? Which says that there is no universal, there is no objective truth. That it all depends on the individual or the groups that are holding that truth. So my truth can be different from your truth, right? Is my, this particular group, what they believe, they say their truth is different from this other person's truth. Topics such as abortion, sexual immorality, gender identity, um, and just so much more. We cannot conform to the principles of this world simply because they're popular, simply because it's the uh, majority view or the majority opinion now. And therefore, we come across um, to many people as being, how many of you guys have been accused of this or you've heard this, that Christians are, we are prudish. Uh, We're such a prude that we're archaic, Um, that we're narrow-minded, that we're self-righteous, that we're intolerant. That's a word here all the time thrown around. That Christians are just intolerant people, right? And in view of God's mercy and what he has done for us, we still cannot conform, even if it means discomfort in our relationship with people. When we disagree, even with loved ones, family members, neighbors, um, teachers, professors, mentors, We cannot conform even if it means persecution. Yes, the P word, the persecution. Not just discomfort, but persecution. Thirdly, Paul urges us to be transformed. He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? In verse 2, to be transformed. The Bible clearly tells us that the way we think determines the way we feel And the way we feel then determines our actions. Does that make sense? Starts from here, then here, and then it gets carried out into our actions. Um, So if we want to change our actions, we have to go back to the source, and we need to change the way we think. It all stems from here. How many of you guys have heard of Noom? N-O-O-M, Noom. I guess people, y'all don't have weight, you know, weight loss problems, huh? So Noom is an app for um, weight loss. It's a dieting app. It's really popular, you all. Really? You've never heard of Noom, all the commercials and things? N-O-O-M. It's a dieting app. It's popular. It's a weight loss program. But what's different about Noom is that it was designed by psychologists, Uh, designed by psychologists, and um, it's all psychological. It's not like Weight Watchers or different things where you add points or they send you food or, you know, tell you what you can and cannot eat. You got to, you know, do all these different things. It's not that. It's different from other diets because it helps you change your mindset. The way you think about food, the way you think about food will change your relationship with food basically how you feel about food. And they're saying that's the core. That's the crux of people who have weight problems. It's psychological. It's how we, it's our, our relationship with food. It's not even so much like what we eat and, and how much of it, but it begins with our mind of why am I choosing to eat this and why am I choosing to eat so much of it? 
you know, whether it's emotional eating or um, just different things, right? So it's the psychology of it and how you feel about food, which will then affect our behavior. So when you change your mindset and, and how you think about food, then your behavior will change because your actual eating will come because your brain controls, you know, your movements, your, you know, body and what you do. So once you've got it straight in your head, then it will outflow into your physical actions and what you eat and how you eat it. So for Noom, think about this. Weight loss, which is the result is a transformed body, is the result of renewed thinking about food. That's the correlation. It's not just a very strict plan of do's and don'ts where you blindly, you don't have to think about it. I just have to count the calories. I don't have to think about it. Oh, this is on the do not eat list. You know, no, but it's, it's really all about your thinking process in your relationship with food. So instead of focusing on our actions for this transformed lives and transformed living as Christians, instead of focusing on our actions or on our feelings, we must focus on changing our thoughts. If we don't want to end up conforming to this, to this world, then we need to change the way we think. We all, that then also will change the way we feel then our actions and our behaviors will follow. I always give the famous example about um, my driving. I am famous, notorious for my driving. I'm a very impatient driver. Um, I can't stand slow drivers. Um, I can't. Particularly, it makes me crazy is, you know, when they have the Jesus sticker, <laughs> something that shows me that they're Christian. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah! Because then I, oh, this guilt and everything. Anyway, but um, this is, I drive, and I like to drive fast, and when I get stuck behind a slow car, it makes me crazy. But, um, and I had to think about this, I'm going to apply these principles, you know? Why is my behavior, why am I tailgating them? Why am I zipping past them and giving them a dirty look as I pass by, you know? And I had to think about it, so I was like, I have to, it has to begin with my mind and my thinking. My thinking is, this is my thinking process. I was like, why am I so angry and, and, and you know, all that? And I was thinking, it's because I think I'm a better driver than them. It's because I think my time is so precious. It's really all about me. I'm a better driver. My time is valuable. They're making me late. I should get all the road, you know, get off the roads if you can't drive, keep to the speed limit, or et cetera. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thinking. And so because I think I'm better than them, better driver, worth more, my time is worth all this stuff, then I feel angry that they're keeping me from, you know, going and getting on time, or they're keeping me, and I get, I get um, angry, frustrated, and all these emotions kick in, and then my behavior follows. I'll zoom past them, I'll tailgate them, I'll honk at them, I'll, you know, I'll mumble things in the car that Emma and Maddie hear all the time. They're always in the car with me, so they hear. You know, so do you see, it begins, I had to take it back, take it back. Like, how am I going to change my behavior? I want to be more patient and be, you know, more loving towards uh, slow drivers. And I had to take it back. To, I got to stop thinking that I'm the best driver. I got to stop thinking that my time is so much more valuable, you know, than them and, and such things to then um, flow to changing our behaviors. Best way, this is the, this is the big, um, the best way to change the way we think to renew our minds, is to read, study, meditate, and fill our minds with God's word. That is the best way. That is the best way.
really. It's seriously, it's to read, study, meditate, fill our minds with good stuff, fill our minds with God's word. So that next time I'm thinking something, if I memorize different scriptures, when my mind thinks of something, you know, then I can just boot it out because then I'm going to quote a scripture, you know, then I'm going to be able to recite something that I've memorized that's part of God's word. If we do this, then it will change the way we think about things. Psalm chapter 1. Look at Psalm chapter 1. If we do this, we will change the way we think about things. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk um, in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they, whatever they do prospers. Right? Amen. Such a good word. God says that those who delight in the word of God and who meditate, it, meditate on it, they will bear fruit, that they, it'll, it'll prosper. We can only truly be transformed when our minds are renewed by scripture, by the word of God. And so finally, fourth point, the fourth thing that Paul urges is to test and approve God's will. Paul urges us in verse 2 to test and approve God's will, which he describes as being good, pleasing, and perfect. What is God's will? Good, pleasing, and perfect. The NLT, the New Living Translation, says... Can you back up one? Yes, the NLT says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Notice the word then. Then you will learn to know God's will. It's only after being transformed. It's only after that we are transformed, after having our minds renewed by the word, that we are able to then... Next slide. Then we are able to test and approve what God's will is, the NIV says. The NLT says, then we're able to learn to know God's will for you. And the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version says, and then we're able to discern what is the will of God. These three different translations of um, verse 2. We all want to be able to test and approve God's will to know God's will, to discern God's will. And Paul says that when we live transformed lives and we live not conforming to the pressures and the priorities uh, and the patterns of this world, then we will be able to test, approve, know, and discern it. So as the praise team comes up, I know that many are struggling. I know, as I said in the beginning, I'm feeling overwhelmed just like so many of you. I know that many are struggling, many are frustrated with managing virtual school for your children, as well as trying to work from home, right? And if you have parents, elderly parents, also checking in on them and, and caring for them as well. Many are frustrated, many are, are struggling because of the things in current events, because of the continued political um, firestorms and controversies and things because of the racial and social injustice that continues and plagues us. So now more than ever, now more than ever, we need to be wholehearted. We need to be wholehearted about not conforming to this world, but instead 
living transformed lives. When we are struggling, we look up, we look to the hills, and then where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. He alone is our hope. He alone is our help. And so when we barely have time to sleep and eat, um, we're so struggling, we kind of push this perfect and true worship and living uh, wholehearted, uh, sacrificial lives for God. We push it to the back because I'm busy surviving, right? But it's the other way around. It's the other way around. When our minds are stayed on such things, when we begin with putting our minds on this perfect and true worship, being concerned with the things of sacrificial living, then I really believe the other things will fall into place and we will have that peace. And so every Sunday, as we said, we invite you um, to join us if you would like prayer. Um, and we'd love to pray for you either in the ministry Zoom or here. I invite you to do that. So let's all stand.